This is Amazed by God, brought to you by Through God's Library. We bring you stories of faith and God's goodness shared by people like you. I pray we build and encourage your faith. If you have a story to tell, please let us know by contacting us through our website at amazedbygod.com. We would love to help you share it with the world. While you're there, check out our other ministries. And if you would like to support the work God is doing through us, you can find the details on our website or go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Now here's your host, Mark, with a story of faith. Hello and welcome, welcome to Amazed by God. This is your host, Mark. We are brought to you by Through God's Library. And with me today is Pete Scanlon. Did I say that right? On target. There we go. Uh, last names always bother me and, and trip me up sometimes. People always have weird pronunciations. I don't say the, uh, my people always go, stitchy on, because it's I-O-N. <laughs> it's just stitching. Just plain old Baltimore stitching. So you you uh, you came to me by uh, Kathy had referred you Kathy Joe um, who had just told her story when we recorded this this week uh, amazing long story how how long have you known her just a few years I met her through Celebrate Recovery okay and you uh, you met her there I know she was going when she moved down here I guess that was uh, that was then a couple years ago yes she yeah. she was part of a ministry down the street from our church. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, you are you're in uh, you you are still affiliated with Celebrate Recovery. Oh yeah, that's yeah. how I came in, plugged back into church. Church, is, and then is is that at the church that you attend? What church do you attend? The, the original church that I plugged in at was uh, Calvary Community Church on Reba Road, and I'm now presently at Emmanuel uh, Church there in Huntington, Maryland. Oh, okay. Uh, how long have you been there? Uh, going on three years now. Three years. Okay. All right. Well, let let me ask you, what has God done amazing in your life? Well, first of all, uh, I'd like to introduce myself again. My name's Pete. I'm a grateful believer. I'm a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm an adult child of alcoholics that became an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, when when I go to tell my story, I like using the scripture verses from uh, Luke verses uh, six, uh, chapter six, verses 46 through 49, where the wise builder built upon on the rock. And a foolish builder built upon the sinking sand, you know. And then my story will show how many times I frequently would try to build a house on sinking sand, you know. I'd also like to be able to show how uh, my sinful self, right, in a sinful world, you know, gave me a bad case of uh, the measles, or I used to call the master of disaster, or <laughs> the man with the. I called a lot of people tease me about. It. I started the me monster, <clears throat> when in reality I was just a egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I was starting out with a little bit of my family history. I was born in Long Island, New York, and I have one sister. Both my parents are deaf, and they were both violent alcoholics. I never learned sign language well as a kid due to shame on my mother's side of the family. It embarrassed them, and she, they asked her to not have us do that in public. Right? So communication between my mother and father and myself and my sister all was kind of, kind of difficult because uh, a lot of it was just from facial expression and miming. We'd make up our own acting in order to communicate. Well, so that, communication that had to have been really hard, just <laughs> not having an ability to contact somebody. Yeah, I mean, we communicated, but it wasn't always clear. It wasn't clear understanding. So a lot of times there was a lot of confusion in the communication. That's interesting. You know? So, uh, but anyhow, you know, give you an idea is 
again, like I said, when I was a small child, I was about four or five years old. And I remember getting my arm caught in one of these old-fashioned washing machines, one types with a roller, you know, they used to make a lot of noise, ju <laughs> and our clothes would go through the rollers. And, you know, just being a little boy, I grabbed onto one of the rollers trying to hold onto, I guess being Superman or something like that, I tried to stop the roller, and my arm got caught, and it pulled me all the way up into my shoulder. The problem was, to get my parents' atten- attention, I used to always stomp my feet on the floor because they could feel the vibration of the floor, you know, stomp, stomp and they would feel the vibration. <clears throat> the trouble being is the washing machine was making all that noise and vibration. So even though I could see my mom, she couldn't hear me trying to cry out for help because I was stuck and she couldn't hear my feet stomping because of the washing machine. So anyhow, like my arm got messed up pretty bad. And after the hospital, I mean, mom's, mom's side of the family were along the lines of, see, you shouldn't have had children. You can't take care of them. You know, and that would just have um, mom, you know, just angry you know a lot of her anger you know towards me you know because I guess I was constantly proving her family right that you know she was deaf and shouldn't have children I remember when mom and dad and things weren't good at the house you know just a little boy on a tricycle I would get on my tricycle and ride over to grandma's house which I don't know maybe a mile away but I don't know exactly how far I was a little boy but uh, again when I would show up over there when they would return me back to mom, again, it was like, see, you're deaf. You shouldn't have had children. You know, so a lot of times when mom got drunk or was drinking, you know, her anger would come out, you know, and be pretty violent. I mean, she'd, uh, you know, over, over uh, do corrections and things like that. Her anger came out, and, you know, one minute it'd be bumps, bruises, and blood, and the next thing I know I'd be getting kisses and hugs because she realized she'd been a bit much. But anyhow, we moved to Baltimore, Maryland in 1963. I wasn't quite seven years old at the time, you know, and I had to learn how to translate, you know, from hearing people to my parents, you know, and I dare not screw up or I'd get a beating, you know. They told me that I didn't love them or I didn't do it correctly. You know, the police be coming to the door because they were fighting and I had to come up with the right answers to the policemen. I mean, they could have communicated with them. They could have wrote on paper, but, you know, somehow between, I was the go-between. And uh, again, like I said, it was if I did it messed up, then they told me I was stupid or I didn't love them, right? So it would be uh, tricky, you know, particularly when the police were coming for me or a teacher or something was coming and I had to tell them myself. You know, that would really be an awkward situation. And mom and dad, though they would act, you know, kind and sweet to people in, in front, but the fact of the matter was they hated hearing people. They believed that hearing people thought they were all deaf and dumb. And then I was the same way that I did too, and I would take advantage. You know, uh, that was really uncomfortable. But the whole move from New York to Baltimore increased my isolation because I had no family in Baltimore. You know, and uh, any hearing family I had was up in, in New York. So when I got to Baltimore, I was the new kid in town. I was the new kid in town, and believe it or not, back then, we're talking a long time ago, <laughs> was uh, I had a New York accent. And plus, I had the deaf parents, so I was that one that stuck out. You know, I was uh, always felt outnumbered. It was always, always those kids from town and against me. You know, I think I was probably eight years old the first time the police showed up at my family's door because I beamed a kid with a rock. You know, there was a bunch of kids, and you know the way I took them on is I used a rock on the one boy, and and uh, to dad, to dad I was just a sissy. And, you know, that he would have just beat them all up. He would have singled them out, got them one at a time, and beat them up one by one. 
and then uh, I was a sissy for using weapons. And again, with mom, mom was freaking out because again, I'm proving that she's deaf. She shouldn't have children. She can't take care of them. You know, the fact of the matter was, I was just a scared little boy with nobody to tell. You know, mom and dad would fight. You know, they get drinking and fighting, and, and dad would beat mom, and he'd go to work. You know, because he worked nights. He worked for the Sun Papers. And mom would say that uh, we didn't love her, and she'd get her coat, and she'd say she was leaving us. You know, that she was leaving us to her fa- with her father, and, you know, we would plead and cry and say, please don't go and all that, but... You know, over enough period of time of so this going on, you know, I learned how to put on my first mask and start to act like I did not care, you know. And I learned how to use mom's facial expressions on the streets, you know, to, to you know, protect myself. And the fact of the matter was when mom was getting her coat, she was just going to get more booze and she was coming back, you know. So anyhow, just living in Baltimore, southwest Baltimore, you know, I started smoking and, and uh, drinking, using alcohol and drugs by the tam- time at age 12. You know, it's pretty much just self-image on the street, you know, and also trying to numb my emotional pain. You know, it's just to be fitting in. By age 15, I was involved in breaking and enterings okay, and stealing cars. And I remember one time stealing a car, and I remember being scared to death because we got chased, right? And I remember seeing those lights coming up behind us. And I remember being so, so afraid. And I remember those one of the first promises that I broke to God because I was saying to God, I'll never, never do this again. I'll never, never do this again. You know, just don't let me get caught and I'll never do this again. Now, did you did you have any church in your background? Any God, any Christians? I'll be coming okay. up to yeah, okay. soon. Uh, but anyhow, with that, uh, after that car chase that night and I broke the first promise to God, I broke that first promise to God the very next night to prove to my friends the, that I did take this car. I took them back to the car that I stole the night before, and we <laughs> took it out again. So, uh, like I said, I was at 15. I was out of school by the time I was 16, and I got a lot of fights. There was bottles, chains. There was been shot at several different times for, different, for several different reasons. I could get into my drunkology, but it's just way too long to tell at one time. I mean, it's too many stories to go with it. That was at 16, all right? I was out of school. I got my parents to sign me in to go into the military when I was 17, and I was booted out by the time I was 18. There were several incarcerations, but never more than 60 days, right? I got married the first time at age of 19, and I was divorced by the time I was 21. I was even homeless for a few months. But I managed to work two jobs until I got a place. I've had so many DWIs and so many wrecked cars. You know, after getting my license suspended, you know, here it is, the alcoholic mind, right? Drug addict mind. I'm, I think to myself, well, okay, I'm stoned. I'll, you know, I'm just getting my license back, so I'll let somebody else drive me. I'll let another drunk drive me. Well, he wrecked that car into a tree, a big old oak tree, right? That, uh, I mean, I pretty much broke my jaw, split my lip, knocked my teeth out. You know, uh, uh, dislocated my shoulder. My knee hit the dashboard so hard it shattered my my butt and it uh, shattered my hip. And, uh, you know, I was in the hospital for like two and a half months. How old were you at that time? Uh, I think 23 at the time. Uh, And the impact, the hood of the car actually came through the windshield. As I was going out the windshield, the hood of the car stabbed me in the chest and pushed me back in. Before it was all said and done, I was stuck between the front seat and the motor coming through the floor. But anyhow, uh, now that's, you'd think that'd be enough to get you out of 
wanting to drink or drug or something like that, but not in the alcoholic drug addict mind, not with the stinking thinking. You know, the addictive mind, you know, I would just justify my self-driving. I would say, I don't care how drunk I am. I don't care if I lose my license. I, at least when I wrecked the cars, nobody got hurt. Right? It's the addictive <laughs> yeah. mindset. Uh, and when it comes to the drugs, you know, the addictive mindset tells me, you know, if they ever could come up with a cure, a cure for addictions with a pill, the addictive mind would turn around and say, what happens if you take two? You know, it's, it's that kind of uh, uh, crazy thinking. So we call it stinking thinking in recovery. Yeah, it, it embeds itself in there, and, and oh, yeah. you, you always want to push it, yeah, and, and try to find, find out what's going on. In 1981, I got engaged the second time, you know, after first marriage failed, but it ended badly. In 1982, I met my second wife, and I tried to clean up somewhat. You know, I was only drinking on the weekends, football, bowling, card night, family over, fishing, grass cutting, but I wasn't doing any drugs. So I was feeling good, right? Well, I have three adult kids, and in 1995, after doing my absolute best, it still ended up losing my family, my house, my cars. I owed the IRS. I passed on my codependent behavior to my kids, and I relapsed to my old ways. And I even got back to the girl I was engaged to before, and it still ended up badly. It got to the point where my pain of just drinking beer, my beer became whiskey. And in my little pity party for Pete, right, I thought how God must really hate me, and I wanted to die. I was gonna take a fistful of beans, pills, and down it with some bourbon. I was gonna crawl in the dumpster behind work Right, because they were going to pick up the trash that day, but I couldn't because I had a moment of clarity and realized that my kids, it would destroy my kids. So I knew I had to get help. I needed to break this cycle of this, this hamster wheel I was in. I would try, I would fail, I'd have self-pity and resentment, and I would go out on that self-run riot. So now the spiritual upbringing that I had, right? as far as the spiritual goes, I remember at five years old, I remember being in a church and saying, yes, Jesus loves me. Our parents took us to see the movies, The Ten Commandments, and The Greatest Story Ever Told. And when I was 17, a street evangelist came by and said the sinner's prayer with me and gave me a Bible and said that all that came out called on the name of the Lord would be saved. But I was back to using the same day. You know, I guess I was expecting the miracle to happen right then and there. You know, going to back to when I had thoughts of, uh, of death, I remember this girl that I had dated telling me about her church that had to celebrate recovery. And that point, at that point in my life, I would have stood on my head and I would have stood in the corner if I was told to because I wanted to get back well and I wanted to get well bad. My first sponsor would ask me when I was looping, you know, because I thought I used to have the answers to everything. I was know-it-all, just anything and everything. I, I was in control. I knew everything, right? And uh, my, when I would be looping, my sponsor would say to me, he said, well, you know, did you pray about it? And I was like, well, no, not yet. And he would quote the scripture, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all this shall be added unto you, right? And then after a while, you know, he also told me about, you know, my history of being a quitter. Right, and he pointed out to me. He said, "Pete, what the heck do you know about being sober?" Right, that you know that what I really needed to do was to start it. Is uh, you don't know nothing about nothing. 
you need to learn to listen and then listen and learn, right? And I learned phrases that came with recovery, like meeting makers make it. Jesus told the story of the narrow is the gate, wide is the path to destruction. So meeting makers, makers kind of stuck in there and half measures, half measures avail you nothing. God don't want part of you. God wants all of you. That was, that, I mean, that was our sermon today, that God wants, God wants all of you, and he, he wants to take you farther and deeper if you just listen. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, so taking, and then my sponsor also told me, he said, you know what, you need to take this recovery as serious as you took to going to get the drugs and the alcohol. You know, what stopped you from getting those things? Nothing. You need to come at this recovery with the same tenacity that you did to go get your drugs. Man, that, that's powerful. Yeah. That's a powerful statement there. Yeah. So I began working the steps, and I learned, you know, stay, work the steps seriously, one through three seriously, you know, trusting God. Learn about getting out of my own self and trusting God. And then steps four through nine helped you clear up the and shatter the darkness of my soul and bring into the light the shame and the guilt, the anger, the fear, the selfish pride, and the unforgiving heart that I struggled with. Right, And now I can learn how to stop blaming others. And with Christ as my foundation, the new foundation, right, and uh, the structure from the Word of God, support from my sponsor and accountability partners, become a new creation under construction and continue on with steps 10 and 12. You know, uh, I think Oswald Chambers is where I, I got some of these where it talked about the, the farmer, the athlete, and the soldier. You know, the farmer, the farmer, you know, he has to do a lot of work. He does a lot of work in order to get that crop to come in, in order to produce good fruit. He has to put forth a lot of effort. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't just show up. It's, yeah. it, you got to work at it. And then the other example was as an athlete, you know, it's biblical also the athlete, uh, practice at it. You know, I think of Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, these guys that have terrific, tremendous percentage shooting, you know, they didn't get that way overnight. They threw a lot of basketballs to get that good. You know, so it took a lot of practice, right? And then, of course, then there's the soldier, you know, willing to give his life for the cause. That's what our Lord modeled in front of us, you know, give his life for others, you know. And so those are three things that stuck with me as the farmer, the athlete, and the soldier. You know, so now my new, new structure, like I said, I kept on building my house on the sinking sand. Now with uh, Jesus being my foundation, my foundation is on the rock once finally. And I got the pillars to help support this house of sobriety. I got to maintain my sobriety for my faith ain't going to work without being sober. Right? And then three is the honesty. Honesty. You got to be real to heal. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth. And once you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So now I got my faith. I got my sobriety. And I know I have to be real with the Lord, honest with myself, with God and others. And then four is fellowship fellowship is being around other people like me around other people like me all the people that are seeking and the the grace of God and to serve him and serve others right and again that's that's the fifth part is to service you know and uh, CR you know you can't keep it unless you give it away I remember hearing a sermon once about love and it used the human heart it has two major arteries one pumps blood in one pumps blood out you can't cut off either side you end up with a heart attack we get the love of the program, we need to learn to give it back. You know, as we get it, we give it. We get it, we give it. We get it, we, it's an ongoing process. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of Christians just like to receive, you know, and the club 
the cup only can go so full, you've got to empty it out at some point. There you go. You know, and then the program, it says one day at a time, you know, by the grace of God, you know, I live this program one day at a time. And I remember hearing the wise old bird in recovery saying, uh, you know, about the greatest commandment. The Lord said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind and all thy soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he used it just like this, uh, the program. He said, you got God with one hand, and you got this program and others with the other hand. You ain't got no hands to pick up with, to use with. You know, that was, uh, that was a good analogy for me to, to fulfill those things, you know. And, and then uh, I'd like to close up with uh, the final scripture for me was uh, Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so that's what I've learned in my recovery and the blessings of the Lord is how to do it with the Lord. God build it. God follow God's step by step, day by day. Appreciate you doing this. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's a great story. I, I, I there was a couple things that I just really took out of it. You know, the, you know, the the pouring into you and pouring out of you. It, it's it's. It's so sad to watch Christians sometimes that just, you know, they go to church and they have that me complex. Everything is about me. Everything's about, you know, I need to be filled or I need to be challenged. And, and, and the Bible is clear that it, we have to, have to go out. You know, I, I, I've said it a thousand times, you know, First John uh, 4.20, I think is the linchpin to the whole Bible that um, if you don't love your neighbor, if you don't love those other people, how can you love God who is unseen if they are seen? Uh, and that's a bad quote. That's the Mark Sitchin version of it. But, yeah, you yeah, know. One of, the, one of the things I always like, I, I respect uh, of Rick Warren, is how he started out his book. It's not about you. No. It's not about you. And that's the whole thing is my meat monster, self-centeredness, about Pete. And that was the life of destruction. You know, that was the path that didn't work. Jesus was the model. Mm-hmm. He washed the disciples' feet and said, go and do likewise yeah it, he came to serve and, and serve and push, i mean one of the one of the biggest the biggest things that satan does now is is he gets us focused on ourselves you know and and we're tooled that way how how easy is it now you know we all have a phone in our hand our heads are down i was in new york city not too long ago no one talked to anybody everybody just you know sat there and their heads were down I, I'm, I'm mimicking it right now but you can't see on an audio podcast but, you know, I, I looked over at my girlfriend and said, no one talks to anybody anymore. Everybody is just focused on, you know, getting their own self. entertainment through through self. They had headphones on, you know, and they didn't even want to be bothered. Well, you think about it, the world that we're coming up in, that's why I also use that in my, my testimony. You know, I have a sinful flesh, and I'm in a sinful world. You know, the enemy doesn't wait until you're an adult to start attacking who you are and your character. You know, God doesn't make no junk. You know, the diamond is there. The gold is there. You know, it's just digging it out and clearing mm-hmm. off the dirt to find it. Well, I, as I shared with you before, and, and I've shared, you know, on the podcast with many people, you know, I'm in the process of, of basically launching an online church for middle school kids to help them find their identity in Christ. Um, you know, and, and we're going to be doing a campaign to help raise it and, and, and do some awesome videos and have some awesome plans and, and, and traveling around to help help them find their identity in Christ because they are struggling with this idea that online is everything now and they're sucked into it. Uh, different things than we ever struggled with, you know, and, 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 you know, it's just, 
it's a way that we're going to have to reach people. It's the next That's frontier. The other thing that, you know, the same thing which uh, is bad can also be used for good because, you know, the online thing, one of the greatest ways to get a prayer chain going is, you know, put yeah. it online. Because every people pray. How many people, how many people have their phone within arm's reach 24 hours a day? It's, you know, it's the first thing you look at when you get up. It's the last thing you look at when you go to bed. I mean, it's, it's sad. And, and we are just, we are, we are now m more isolated than ever when we have the whole world at our, at our fingertips. Yeah. It's just like so many tools, you know I mean? Tools can, can build and tools can destroy. Yep. You know, it's how you're going to use the tools. Absolutely. Well, here at Amazed by God, we end with two questions just to kind of get your feedback and see, see who you are. So the first one is, is there any Bible story, Bible character, uh, Bible verse that stands out and has touched you and why? One of my favorites is Stephen. I'm not sure if he's in Acts 4 or 7. I think he's in Acts 7 where it tells the story of Stephen. And he gave like the most powerful testimony that I know of in the Bible from the beginning of creation all the way up to Christ. And uh, the people that stoned him to death, they weren't believers. They weren't his family. They weren't his friends. They were non-believers. They were people against him. And as they stoned him to death, you know, he prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the key thing that I, I always grab from that is he was full of the Lord's spirit. And I think to myself many times, you know, how hard it would be for me to, to forgive somebody who just beamed me with a rock. And I realized under my own strength, under my own power, I could never do it. I would need God's grace, God's spirit, God's help in order to be able to see the eyes of Jesus and see them as lost people needing and not understanding. Yeah. And to be able to reach out to them, for them. And, and a lot of us don't realize, you know, Paul was there. Paul was at, at, at his, you know, at his stoning. He, he presided over it, basically. And most people don't realize that if it wasn't for Paul, I mean, God would have probably raised somebody else up. But God chose Paul, and he's probably the reason we're sitting here. You know, mm -hmm. the, the spread of, of the gospel through the Roman world, through Paul, can be traced to basically the spread of it to America. And, um, you know, that, that was one of the linchpins, I think, that, that set... Paul on the ability to see the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. You know, the other things that, uh, and recovery has shown me, you know, to get out of Pete, get out of being as self-centered and stop feeling sorry for myself for all the things went wrong, to realize that God, Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for the good of those that love God, that God can even take the bad stuff and make it good somehow, to turn around and make what I've been through in order to help someone else who's going through the same thing. Yeah. The, I think it's also in Second Corinthians, the, first chapter. The end of, and the end of that verse is uh, for his purpose. You know, that's the focus of that. It's not for our good. You know, a lot of people like the focus. Oh, it's for my good. God can use all things for my good. But it's according to his purpose is, is, is the main reason. And, that, and that's, that's a prime example of, of Stephen getting stoned and, and what happened there. That's a prime example of all the stuff that Paul went through. You know, I mean, Paul went through more stuff than you could possibly imagine, you know, and but it was according to his purpose and, and that God used all that to, to go there. When I get uh, into things, because life still happens. I'm not perfect yet. Oh, absolutely. I'm not where I was before, but I'm not I'm not where, where the final product yet either. So, you know, one of my sponsors, things helped me in the beginning in recovery is to, you know, to self-reflect. You know, as my sponsors would say, what's got your skivvies in a while? <laughs> what's going on? What's going on that you need to let go of? What do you need to look at, at your Lord's feet today? Yeah. You know, what are you trying to take control of? You know, I've always been famous for trying to write the script. 
you know, and it's not for me to write the script. It's for me to follow yeah. and survive and to give glory to God Absolutely. in all circumstances. All right, well, we end with one question here because music moves our soul. Is there a song that our listeners can look up on YouTube that has touched you in some way? I give you control, 10th Avenue North. 10th Avenue North, there you go. Go ahead and listen to that online. Um, that's a great band. They're, they have some amazing worship songs. Go listen to some more of their stuff, too. So thank you, Pete. I appreciate you being one of the podcast of Amazed by God. We're brought to you by Through God's Library, and this is your host, Mark, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for the privilege. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating, and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for listening.